If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but we're going to really focus on the first 12 verses. It's the fifth seal. So, Revelation chapter 9, begin at the first verse. John's writing and he says, <clears throat> Then the fifth angel sounded, excuse me, it's the, the trumpets, not the seals here. Uh, and then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Hebrew he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates, or the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth, blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. 
For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now. We pray that you would open your word to us, Lord. There's some dark passages here that are really hard to understand. And so we pray that you would help us. Lord, you gave this word as a revelation and not as a concealment. And yet you gave it under symbols and signs, Lord, that sometimes are hard for us to discern. So we pray that you would help us to know what you are saying to us here and how this prophecy has unfolded or shall unfold, Lord in history. So give us wisdom and grace. We pray also, Lord, that we would hear this not merely as hearers or speculators and uh, just listening to your word, but that you would apply it to our hearts and show us and teach us the lessons, the instruction that we need to take from this. And I do pray that you would bless us now. So open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all our hearts here would be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we come to this uh, ninth chapter. The trumpets have sounded. The fifth trumpet is sounded at the beginning of this. If you remember in chapter 8, when it ended, uh, John said it in verse 13, I saw, I looked, and I looked, and I heard another and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So there was a warning given, basically saying that the first four trumpets being sounded were devastating on the earth. The judgments that fell to those who had not the seal of uh, the Lamb or the seal of God in their foreheads. Uh, they were judged, the wicked were judged, judgment was falling, we see calamities, we see the earth being affected, we see all types of things. And trying to understand the symbol of symbolism of this, we see uh, under the form of symbolism, we see the, the heresies that emerged actually in the early church. There were some really uh, pernicious lies that the devil set forth on every level. And yet now we're told that what was coming even after that was going to be far, far worse than what they had already experienced. And so we start off with this in the very first chapter, or first verse rather. John says, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet. So there's a trumpet blast. And the word sounded there actually means the blast of a trumpet. Um, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Well, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said that when the, after the apostles came back from preaching the gospel, he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Uh, Satan's kingdom was being destroyed by the word going forth. This one here, we're told, a star has fallen, fallen from heaven. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, if we were to look back, when Christ interpreted 
the symbolism of the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. If you notice there, he said, uh, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the church of the seven churches, generally understood to be some think guardian angels, but the angels are being rebuked here sometimes. Uh, so it's generally understood that as the word angelos means messenger, that those are the messengers of the churches. Sometimes it's considered the elders or the ministers of the word, uh, the pastors of the churches, perhaps. But the the seven stars or the seven or the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So it's not a stretch to say this could be a reference to some. Uh, luminary, we might say, we use that term, in the church history uh, that fell. Uh, most of the reformers and most of the uh, older commentaries would say this is either a reference to the rise of Islam, when we see the pit open and the smoke comes out and then the locusts swarm for five months uh, from the beginning of Muhammad's conquest of Mecca, to the time that the Muslim armies were stopped at the Battle of Tours, it was 150 years. And if you understand five months being 150 days on the sol on lunar calendar, rather, uh, it makes sense that okay, this perhaps is a prophecy about the rise of Islam, because he, as he describes the locusts, he describes an army going forth. They're on horses. They have armor. They have uh, crowns that look like gold, and you know the Muslim armies often wore yellow turbans, etc. And they went forth and did all kinds of things. But some of them said, well, that doesn't quite fit because the locusts are told not to kill people, at least it was not physically. And that's not the case. When Islam went forth, there was a bloodbath everywhere they went. Still, is somewhat true. Although most Muslims were peaceable people, the religion itself doesn't uh, lend itself toward that. Others have said that this, this angel fallen from heaven, it's a reference to the devil, but it's also perhaps a reference to the fall of the bishop of Rome, who began to usurp the authority of Christ, began to claim that he was the vicar of Christ on earth, which is the role of the Holy Spirit, began to say that he was the head of the church, and you had to be in submission to him to be saved. By the way, they still teach that, it's still part of their teaching which was a usurpation of the office of Christ, and allowed himself to be called with, by the superlative term of the Most Holy Father uh, in reference to his office, and, uh, which is a usurpation of the office and function of God the Father. So most of the Reformers believe this could be a prophecy of the papacy or the, the Bishop of Rome falling, and then all the errors that came out, because if you notice when the pit was opened, Smoke came out, and the sun and the air were darkened. As I mentioned last week, what we often refer to when these corruptions began to come out upon the earth as the Dark Ages. And some have said that the, this host of locusts would fit well with the monks and others, the Jesuits and the holy orders that came out as a plague upon the cities and churches uh, and promoted a sacramental of salvation and just false teaching. But those are some of the interpretations. Others have said this may be something else. It's kind of hard to be exact, but it does seem that if we were looking at history, the two things that seem to be pointed to here 
if we're going to tie this into historical fulfillment that's already passed, would be either the rise of Islam, uh, or it could be the the fall of the Bishop of Rome. Rome was considered to be a citadel of orthodoxy and godliness for several centuries, but then it you know it went to the heads, you might say, of the Bishop of Rome. And he was rebuked all over the place every time he made his claims and insisted that you have to be in submission to him. We have writings of church fathers, others, other men, other uh, bishops in other cities would write and rebuke him and say, what do you think you're doing? And he was actually told, you're acting like the Antichrist, the way you're conducting yourself. You just, you know, you're desiring to have the preeminency when really you're not preeminent. If anything, you're supposed to be a servant of the servants of God and uh, failed to do that. So let's look at the chapter and see what we see. The fifth angel sounded. John says, I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. Remember, this is a symbolic book. To him, so the angel is a person of some sort, either angelic or human, to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Note, he didn't possess it. It was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit. Literally, it's the pit of the abyss in the original. And smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So when he opens it, there's this flaming hot smoke just bellows out. We've seen some of that in, I wasn't there, but if you've seen oil fields on fire, like we saw in the first Gulf War, uh, there was smoke came out and the sun was darkened. uh, And the air also was dark, meaning the atmosphere was beclouded with the smoke of the pit. So this is a pretty scary-looking, ugly picture here that happens. So this fallen star opens the gates of hell, you might say, and you notice it's of a great furnace, so it, it bellows out or bilches out the uh, uh, smoke, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, so he's John still looking, and so now he sees locusts coming out. Swarms of locusts, or locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, and the Greek word exousia is authority, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Well, scorpions can be deadly, they're certainly painful. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this is interesting, he's just describing green grass or grass or anything green or the trees, meaning the living ones and the uh, former uh, trumpets and the judgments that have fallen. We've seen the devastation wrought upon those very things. But I'm looking at at this, it's like, well, what is God trying to tell us here? They couldn't hurt anything or they were forbidden to hurt anything that was actually alive. You see, because when it says they were not to hurt uh, the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree is saying if something was alive, they couldn't harm it. They weren't allowed to harm it. Uh, but they were told that they were given authority to harm those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you remember back in chapter 7, the 144,000 that were sealed, uh, understood as a symbol of the elect of God on the earth. And the very next thing we see we have the symbol that has basically shown us it, what this symbol is. Same things here where you see the locusts and then they're described as an army. Uh, the 144,000 are described as 12,000 from each tribe. 
of Israel, and then you have this great multitude, which no man could number, that's 7 verse 9, uh, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and uh, with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, we see this picture of God's redeemed elect, and we see as these locusts spew forth upon the earth, they're going to do great damage, but they're told that they're not going to be allowed to harm those who are truly alive. If we understand the, those things as symbols, uh, the grass, any green thing, uh, or any tree. Jesus made reference, remember, um, when he was going to the cross and he told them, if they do these things in a green tree, what will they do in the dry? Uh, in other words, if they're doing this to me and I'm innocent, what's going to happen to those of you who are actually guilty before God? So these locusts go forth and they're plagued. So again, we see, we see at the end of this chapter that no, they didn't, men didn't repent. And when every time when we see the judgments of God's fall, where there's no repentance, we see heavier judgments fall. We see this in the Bible. We see it in our own nation. Because one thing after another, we get hammered. I remember right after 9-11, I'm old enough to remember that. It's not that far back for a lot of us. Some of the young folks who read about that now is history, which I was made aware of. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's right. You guys weren't born before that happened. Or, uh, and so we see that you know, the churches were filled. People were praying. We were, they were crying out to God. They didn't know what to expect. We'd been attacked. We saw what happened if God lowers his protecting hand or withdraws it for a moment. And we see this, this judgment fell. We've seen it in our economy. We've seen it in our standing among other nations. We've seen it just in what's going on with wicked people being able to seize power. We see all this. Why is this? It's, it's you know, we look at it, well, you know, some people say, well, it's because of the Democrats, or it's because of the liberals. On the other side, they say, well, it's because of the Republicans, or because of the conservatives. No, it's because of sin. As a nation, we've sinned against God, and one judgment after another falls, and where there's a lack of repentance, you know, it used to be people were upset because they were told that, well, you can't start a school day at a public school with prayer anymore. And now the big problem is they're putting pornography in the libraries of the schools for children to read, and they're bringing in immoral people. I'm not going to go into detail. You know what I'm talking about. For story times. For, you know, it's like it's just gone from bad to worse. And a lot of it has to do with Christians who are sitting around waiting to be raptured and refuse to get involved in their society. And, you know, the old saying, I heard it growing up as a young Christian uh, in regard to, well, we're going to be raptured any minute, so don't be polishing brass on a sinking ship. And it's like, what do you mean by that? Well, don't get involved in politics. Don't get involved in all these cultural things. You just preach the gospel and pray. I said, well, okay, that last part's not bad, okay? But preaching the gospel and praying, that does not preclude Christians from being involved in government. And what's happened is, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, because people have a tendency to forget things I say. Uh, it's like Luther when he said, I preach justification by faith alone every week. Because my people forget it every week, okay? They start thinking, yeah, I had a bad week, I, so I don't know if God still loves me. So it's okay. But... 
if you don't get involved in your culture for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, by preaching the gospel and upholding righteousness, you don't need to worry about polishing brass on a sinking ship. Basically, as I've said, you've turned the, the ship, or by your lack of action, if the ship has been turned into a garbage scow that your children and grandchildren now have to live in, and it's being run by pirates. That's what you've given them by refusing to get on school boards or vote and things like that. Uh, we need to be involved, okay? So what's that have to do with anything here? Well, the way you stop wickedness is by standing against it. Sometimes uh, you have to get involved, and that's really what we need to do. And so, as Christians, if you're alive in Christ, you want to see truth go forward. You want to see wickedness stop. Civil government, we're told, its job is to uphold righteousness, uh, to you know, reward or praise those that do well, and to restrain evil. Paul says that's why the sword is put into the hand of the civil magistrate, Romans chapter 13. This, you know, we're given the sword of self-defense. The civil magistrate has the sword of offense, you might say, to deal with wicked people. And so that's why we have police officers with guns and soldiers with rifles, etc., uh, because there is wickedness in the world. When Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the original language is, it is not for us, meaning the church, to wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not our office. There are those for whom that is their office. And that would be the civil magistrate. And that means the you know, government and the military. But they have to act according to God's word. They can't just make wicked rulings. And we see that. Everything's out of kilter. Why? Because of sin. And we see that, and there's a need for national repentance, and part of that repentance that's necessary is the apathy that exists among Christians to get involved in our culture. We walk, you know, we're supposed to be salt and light. Now, if I've got some meat that I want to cure, and I have salt, let's talk about we're living in the old days, and I go, yeah, yeah, I got that meat, it's, it's right there, and I got the salt, it's right there. And I come back a week later, two weeks later, it's like, wow, the meat's rotten now. It's like, yeah, because the salt, you're supposed to put that on the meat, okay? Salt doesn't do any good if it's not applied. You look at, wow, everything's rotten in our country. We're getting worse. You're the salt. You're supposed to be applying yourself to those things. Get involved. Speak up. All right? So this is important to do. Because if you just sit around and do nothing because you don't want to polish brass on a sinking ship... Well, get used to being governed by pirates, and I'm not talking about the happy, you know, veggie tales type pirates, okay? I'm talking about the guys that are cutthroats, all right? And that's what we're being governed by, corrupt, evil people. They're in control of our state government and pretty much in our federal government. And if they're not in complete control, they're definitely a strong influence. So we need to be praying first and foremost and ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Find that, and he will show you. Okay, But our problems are because of sin, because of lack of repentance. That's why these judgments keep falling on our nation. They get harder and harder. That's why the world is in such turmoil, because of lack of repentance and resistance to God's truth. And so, as we go through this chapter, we see this. So, this, the locusts come forth, we're told, at verse 3. Uh, and they, they're told in verse 4 not to hurt anything. Uh, in verse 5, we're told, and they were, given, they were not given authority to kill them. So these, whatever these locusts were, 
they weren't allowed to murder people, but they were allowed to torment them. Uh, some have said this is with all the, the false doctrines that came out in the dark ages of you know purgatory and sacramental salvation and prayers to the saints, and no assurance of the forgiveness of sins. You never could know for sure if you were saved, because if you're dying and the priest doesn't get there and they'll give you last rites, you know, when James he says, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church, let them anoint him in the name of the Lord. By the way, that's legitimate. If you're ever sick and want the elders to do that, just ask us. I've seen God heal cancer from that, okay? Um, we're Presbyterian, so we're not like, oh, we believe in healing. But the Bible teaches it, and I've seen it. It happens, okay? So we do believe in healing, and we know God uses prayer. But Rome took that, that teaching in James and said, oh, well, you know, when you're dying, if the priest comes and you know, makes a sign of the cross with some olive oil on your forehead and says, you know, absolvo te, you know, I, I forgive you, um, you know, by his priestly authority. Well, now you can be sure you're going to probably, maybe, possibly go to heaven after a few million years in purgatory, of course. Uh, and if people will pay for masses, eventually your sins can be paid for as you're there on slow roast burning. That's not taught in the Bible, by the way. None of that is. So, you have these, these hellish doctrines that have gone forth like, you know, and they've becloud men and people think, well, that's, uh, that's what the, the gospel is, you know, and the Church of Rome has got a lot of good PR making people think that they represent the early church. They have absolutely nothing to do with the early church. As these doctrines began to be preached, men were stung in their consciences. That's why Luther was a proponent of Solo Scriptura, the Bible foundationally alone. didn't mean you couldn't read other books. matter of fact, you need to read other books. Luther was a scholar. He was a doctor of the church. He was an Augustinian scholar. And he prized scholarship and study and legitimacy, but he knew everything has to be judged by the Word of God, by Scripture, all doctrines of men, all practices of the church. But these scorpions go out and they sting men. They can't kill them. But they sure can make them just absolutely miserable. And Luther and others have said that's pretty much a description of what's going on with a, a sacramental view. You never have the assurance of salvation. You don't know if you're, you know, you, your, your best hope is to die and wake up pleasantly surprised. Okay, oh, I'm in heaven. Okay, good. But they don't, you know, they, they teach that you can't know for sure. And as you know, when the Reformation started, when Tetzel was selling indulgences, and his little rhyme in German, but in English it's, when a coin in the coffer clinks, uh, a soul from purgatory springs. In other words, you make a donation, help build St. Peter's Cathedral, and you can get your grandmother out of purgatory. So when Luther wrote his 95 Theses for Debate to expose that evil, he made the one statement that was outstanding, and he said, because with indulgences, they say the Pope being the successor of Peter, he has the authority to release souls from purgatory. So if you'll make a donation, you can get one, buy one for yourself, you get an indulgence for all sins, past, present, and future, and you can get your grandmother, your mom and dad, or anybody else that you care about that died, you probably are roasting now in purgatory, you can get them out of there, because the Pope will let them out if you'll, he said he'll do this. So Luther wrote in his 95 Theses, one of them was, and I've mentioned it before, if the Bishop of Rome, if the Pope, has the authority to release souls from the sufferings of purgatory, 
and the fires and the torment there, if he has that authority, why doesn't he just let everybody out on the basis of Christian charity? And people read that, and they thought, yeah. And then Luther did the thing that basically smacked the Antichrist in the head with a sword, as it says in Revelation. Fortunately, the wound healed. He translated the Bible and gave that to the German people from the original languages. And as I've mentioned before, when, the reason why the Reformation started with such a, a vehemence was that when people opened the Bible, expecting to read about prayers to the Virgin Mary and the Pope's authority and rosaries and pilgrimages and uh, the Mass, as they read it, it's like, that's not in here. No, that's in here. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about trusting Him. It's about loving God and loving others. Has something to say about the Lord's Supper and baptism, but nowhere does it set those forth as uh, absolutely necessary for salvation. Thief of the cross settled that in regard to baptism, and the Lord's Supper is a picture of Christ's body and blood for us. But when they read this, like this is there's no mass in here. There's nothing about a priesthood that can forgive sins either. And so people are like, we've been lied to. You want to find somebody that's zealous for the truth? Find someone's got a Bible in their hand after being in a cult for a long time that they've actually come to believe in the Bible and believe in God's Word, and you'll find that they want nothing to do with that cult anymore because they know I was lied to and blinded for years. Now I've got God's Word. That's what happened at the Reformation in the thousands upon thousands, and that's why people left you know, the foolishness of the Roman Church. By the way, there were a lot of priests that left. Okay, a lot of the pastors at the, in the early part of the Reformation were former priests. So, you know, we don't despise Roman Catholics and think like, oh, they're horrible people. No, they're not. Some of the best people on earth. Okay? Sometimes they're way better than Protestants. Okay? Um, but the doctrines that are taught in the Church of Rome are right out of the, the smoke from the pit. Okay? Um, and that's what we oppose. So remember, for us, we do not fight against flesh and blood. So we need to pray for those that are caught up in this thraldom, slavery of the Church of Rome. So he then describes it, says, this is how miserable it was in verse 6. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Pretty bad. You must be tormented horribly if, if death is viewed as an escape. Okay, When men's consciences are afflicted, we saw earlier they were crying out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from he, the one who sits upon the throne, and from the face of the Lamb, the one who died to save sinners. They can't bear to be in his presence because they're not forgiven. And so, you know, to seek death, death will flee from them. God won't allow that to happen. There'll be no escape. And then John, I think, is doing what he did in chapter 7, where he's 144,000, and then he sees it. What's that really? What's the picture behind that? The vast number that no man could count of God's elect on earth. And so here he sees these locusts, and he says, The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. What he's telling us is the locusts, there were, there were horses prepared for battle. That is, they're, they're ready to fight. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. So they crowned themselves. I say this could be a picture of the Muslim armies. Uh, it's definitely a picture of those who believe they're in control. Their faces were like the faces of men. John's telling us the locusts were people. They're men. They had hair like women's hair. What's that mean? Well, women are you know, told 
Wives, submit to your husbands. It's not slavery when they do that, okay? It means in a loving relationship. Wives, you know, the husband's the head of the house. The wives lovingly submit. Well, these they, they have this appearance of being submissive people. You know, in the Church of Rome, it's all about submission to the Pope. You must be in submission to the Bishop of Rome in order to be saved. I've been told I was going to, you're, on, you're going to go to hell because you're not in submission to the Pope. I said, well, I'm in submission to the Pope, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the actual head of his church, so I think I'll be okay. Uh, quit talking, the guy quit talking to me after I said that. Um, but they have the appearance of submission, but their teeth are like lion's teeth. In other words, there's nothing gentle, there's nothing motherly about them. They might have hair like women, but when it comes to opposing them, they'll come after you and try to destroy you. We see this in politics all the time. Um, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Their hearts were hardened. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Now, if this is a picture of an actual army and war, he's talking about the Muslim conquest, possibly. But it also shows the idea that these guys are all over the place. Chariots are fast. In the old days, before automobiles, the chariot could get you somewhere real quick, okay? So they're... Uh, ubiquitous. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And so, again, in their tails, some have said, well, their tails are, you know, later it looks almost like when it talks about the fire and the brimstone, something that might be a veiled reference to the, the artillery that was used later. Uh, but in this case, the, in their tails, they, they have, you don't see that part. They look, oh, look, they're, they're Awesome looking, but now they've got a tail that'll sting you. They're not to be trusted. Okay, um, try to don't advise it. But anybody that's ever pick, tried to pick up a scorpion, you know what they do. They'll sting you. Okay, they look. Oh, what a cute little creature. Okay, they are pretty in a very you know, weird sense. Okay, uh, they have a beauty about them. You don't mess with them. Okay, because they can really hurt you. Well, these have authority to hurt men for five months. Okay, short period of time. And they had a king over them. Here we're introduced to their, their leader. They have a king over them. They have an emperor. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Both those words in Hebrew and Greek mean destroyer or destruction. Paul refers to the man of sin as the son of perdition, okay, son of destruction. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. All right, so what do we take away from this? What does all this mean? Well, as I've mentioned before, bad things come to nations or a nation that refuses to repent, or refuse to repent. Secondly, whatever is coming in history or in our own individual lives, being right with God through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior must take precedence. The men that were not harmed by these locusts However we understand, it's very clear. The ones who had the seal of God in their foreheads were safe. That seal of God, that is being saved, trusting in Christ, that determines your experience of life and eternity. Thirdly, the railings and torments and the confusion thrown into the world by the wicked have their limitations. Note, they were only allowed to, to do this for five months. In Psalm 37 that we read earlier, beginning at verse 34, we're told, Wait on the Lord and keep his way. 
He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. The Hebrew there is Eretz, meaning earth. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Then David said this, I have seen the wicked in great power. Please remember this when you see all the political stuff going on and we see wicked people in control. Or in the spiritual realm where it seems like those that preach false gospels have the largest followings. He said, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Five months passes. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. And then finally, as I said earlier, the problems in the world are not the result of global warming, overpopulation, internal combustion engines, uh, pollution, uh, cows releasing gases, we're told that's the real problem now. Uh, It's really not the result of racism, sexism, capitalism, communism, conservatism, or liberalism. Some of those things actually are evil in and of themselves. Others are good. But, you know, the world's always looking for a reason. They want to find a reason. The reason why things are as messed up as they are, even though the world searches for someone or some group to blame, the real cause of the earth's woes, and we can sometimes look and see in our own lives the chastening hand of God, the real problem or the real cause of the earth's woes is that men have turned their backs on God and his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and have thrown his word behind them. May God keep us from such wickedness, and may he give us grace to stand against the tide of the wicked and to speak the truth in love. God has a people out there, and as the word goes forth, the Holy Spirit leads and directs, and they get found. So as we recognize this, the most important thing is being right with God and say, Lord, I'm only here for a little while. The locusts afflict five months. I have a lifetime. I want to serve you. I want my life to be effective. You know, this life's going to pass quickly, and you're going to be standing before God someday. And it doesn't matter how much wealth you've been able to accumulate. It doesn't matter how successful you've you've become. It doesn't matter how much praise of the world you've been able to garner. The only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you are right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So get focused. Understand what's important. Do your job diligently, whatever your vocation is, whether you're on the job working, if you're at school, if you're uh, teaching children, if you're a mom raising a family or keeping the house, uh, whatever God has given you to do, do it diligently as unto the Lord. We're not talking about backing off or slacking off, but be diligent to recognize, do it all unto the Lord and put your relationship with Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else. You have to understand that. Don't make an idol out of people, okay? And recognize that on that day when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be able to thank God. Say, Lord, thank you so much for giving me grace to serve you in my life. I'm sorry I didn't serve you better, but thank you for being with me. You need to pray that now. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask you to bless us. Bless us in your word and work in our hearts, Lord, as we speak about the need for repentance in others, Lord. There's a lot in us that needs to be repented of, Lord, our words, our actions, our thoughts, our failures, Lord, in so many ways. Help us, we pray. Be glorified. Lord, as we looked at this passage, they said there's many dark sayings in it, things hard to understand. But, Lord, 
We pray that by your Spirit you'd help us to recognize that your word is truth. Write it in our hearts and minds and lead us and direct us, Lord, so that we can know your will. We ask all this thanking you, Lord, that we're in your hands, that the wicked can't do anything unless you grant them authority and power to do it. And we thank you for keeping us safe in this world. And all this we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.